This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with a friend, Bob DeRosa. He is a writer of film, theater, and award-winning web series. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here, and you totally mispronounced my name. Did I really? DeRosa. DeRosa? What yes. did I say? You said DeRosa. I'm realizing that this is a problem that I have. It's been a long time, but now I, this is great because it's been the holidays and I haven't been feeling a lot of shame, and now this will help me but also, fill like, my shame quota. We've been friends for a couple of years, and how often have you said, hey, Mr. DeRosa? It's always Bob, you know, Bob and Joseph, and so. Yeah. Yeah, so we're in a writing group together, yes, and we, are. we don't use each other's full names. We do not. Which is a problem. Right. Which I'm going to now institute new rules in our writing group, <laughs> that we all must say each other's names all the time. I can't believe I started the podcast by busting your chops. Please do. All right. Please do. No, right. I, I, this is a, a both, uh, I joke about being ashamed, but right. I also feel real shame, because I go in cycles of like, man, I am over-obsessing, and I'm researching every little detail of the podcast, <laughs> and double-checking with people like, okay, your last name's Bradley? <laughs> How do I say that exactly? Is it spelled and I've heard before? And then every time that I fail to double check right. that I'm correct, I'm wrong. It's also not one of those easy names. Like you look at it, people people mispronounce it all the time. And it's not, it's like straight up easy Italian name, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. It's hard. Uh, how often do you feel like you have to correct people? Like when you go in for, for pitch meetings, are you like, I'm ready to endure having my name mispronounced? Or do you like start no, a pitch No, because they're always like, I'm hey, sorry, Mr. Executive, but you... Uh... No, they're always like, hey, Bob. So it's like, <laughs> even if they never met you, they, they, they make things so casual. Like that's what I, I love about being a writer in Hollywood is like, it's so casual. Like I'm going to wear my sneakers and Nobody calls you by your last name anyways. So. Okay. This is good old buddy Bob. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm going to practice your last name, and I'm going to use it all the time. It's going to be, we're going to be like the sp- sports folk <laughs> who call each other by their last name. Got it. Okay. That's on. the plan. Uh, so can you tell uh, people a little bit more about uh, your career and what you have done and what you're working on now, just kind of the big picture for people who don't know you? Sure, sure, sure. I'm uh, mostly a professional screenwriter, so I've written, uh, I've been writing professionally for probably 15 years now and I've gotten two movies made nice. which is pretty good average for uh, that amount of time when you've been out here for a while uh, so I wrote um, I co-wrote The Air I Breathe with director Ji Ho Lee which is like an ensemble crime drama had a killer cast we had like Brendan Fraser Samuel Michelle Geller cool we had uh, Forrest Whitaker Kevin Bacon Andy Garcia and just tons of awesome yeah. folks to be in like Jiho's directorial debut and my first produced movie. So that was an awesome experience. And then I wrote the big Lionsgate movie Killers starring Ashton Kutcher and Katherine Heigl. And then I worked on a little bit in television. I worked on one season of White Collar, which was a show on USA that I really loved. And now I've co-created a uh, comedy horror uh, web series called 20 Seconds to Live along with director Ben Rock. And it's the web series for people who hate happy endings. <laughs> and it is literally award-winning, right? It is, yeah. We've uh, we've played almost 20 uh, film and web festivals. We've won big awards at four of them. We just most recently won Best Horror at the Hollywood Film Festival here in Los Angeles. And we won a big special festival award at the Raindance uh, Film Festival in London, which yeah. I was actually there to to accept the award, oh, which is super awesome. cool. And uh, and yeah, it's um, it's award winning, and it's it's the most fun I've ever had doing two minute little short uh, anthology uh, uh, films about death. <laughs> you uh, watching your process with this, like on social media, mm-hmm. where you're posting about all the festivals and right. posting pictures and that. I kind of intellectually knew, oh yeah, web series used to be when I was younger, like 
hey, we're not making, you know, we're not in Hollywood, but we're making these cool, scrappy little movies. And I kind of understood that it was getting to be a bigger deal. But then seeing all of the your photos of these big festivals and big red carpets, that it's really a big industry now. I think it's actually taken over, like, making a short film as a calling card. Yeah. Nowadays. Like, back when I, like, I've had, and we can get into this, I had a, this is actually part of my obsession story, was, like, working at a film festival, okay. you know, like, 20 years ago. And so I've come up through the film festival world. And it used to be you'd make a short film, maybe you'd win an award at Sundance, and eventually that would lead to a feature, and that would kind of start your career. And it's kind of, you either make that short film that, like, I can't remember his name, but the guy who directed the Evil Dead reboot. Okay. Launched his career with a really cool short that was, like, on Deadline.com and Hollywood Reporter, and everybody would grab it. But, like, it's just not that, not that common anymore. Yeah. But you make a web series... And it's like, A, you ha- you can just put it online, you can build an audience up, and it's become kind of the new calling card. Okay, cool. And then also it's like, you're not only like saying, hey, I can make content, hire me to do a feature, but you can also say, I can make television. So, because television, I think, is so hot, all of a sudden the idea of like, well, I can, I can do a web series to kind of show I can create serialized content. Right, I can string multiple ideas together over exactly. a span of time. Yeah. So it's just become this really rich creative ground to play in and I because they even though it's an online medium the fact that they create festivals where everybody kind of comes together and like at a film festival if you do a web series you're kind of the lowest guy on the totem pole (laughs) yeah but you go to a web festival and everybody's on equal footing and you can be like dude I love your show I saw one episode I'm gonna go home and watch the rest so it's like when you're at Sundance you're like I loved your film I'll see it in a year and a half if it gets distribution (laughs) ever so it's I don't know it's just a really inclusive fun environment we've had a, a blast being a part of it yeah that's awesome well let's get into your obsession then okay this is great because you you, you did give it a little bit of thought when yes, I initially I emailed you. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people are like this, where they try to analyze, well, what am I truly the most obsessed with? Is there somebody out there who is more obsessed than me? Yeah. And you came to Christopher Nolan. I came to Christopher Nolan, the yeah. The filmmaker. The still alive filmmaker, which is always fun <laughs> to be obsessed with uh, a human who's alive and right. their work. But it's also dangerous, because yeah. at any moment he can make a terrible movie. <laughs> And just destroy it all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I like maybe ten years ago, I, I probably would have had a different answer as a, as an, a director I'm obsessed with. But then he made a couple of really bad movies in a row, and then I'm like, oh, I still love him, but he's no longer my obsession. I'm not going to mention. You're not going to mention who it is. Okay, yeah. I'll ask you off air. All right, Will you tell me off air. I'll tell you right now, Cameron Crowe. Okay, <laughs> I love you, Cameron Crowe, but it's just we went downhill for a little while. But okay. anyways, so Christopher Nolan could still lose you. There's could, tension right now. At every moment, I mean, honestly, can Star Wars lose you? Uh, no. Okay, well, okay, that's fair then. I have said in the past that right. Star Wars can lose me by an actor literally turning to the camera and saying, you, Joseph Scrimshaw, are stupid. That's what it would take. I feel like, to, for me, for Star Wars, yeah. what is good about it is right. so baked into the yeah. DNA of the thing that wildly different ideas, wildly different, to me, quality of execution, Right. as long as that fundamental DNA of yeah. exciting, bizarre spaceships and right. laser swords and aliens mixed with some mythic stuff it's, it's hard to shake me that's totally fair now i'm feeling bad for cameron crow even though he's like my <laughs> strong number two now so i think what it's different to compare a, a huge sprawling franchise yes with a more like a director with a vision who right. makes distinct small projects yeah and especially with like directors because they only make some some of them only make a, a film every three years so they've got six or eight films and that's their entire body of work yeah yeah and it's and it's hard now that i've worked in the film business I know how hard it is to knock it out of the park 
every single time. Right, and retain your vision and get right. to that place at status yeah. where, like, if Christopher Nolan messes up, it's because Christopher Nolan messed up. Right. Because he's at such a place of power that it's not yeah. like some executive came in. Totally. And said, here's my dumb idea for right. Inception. But that's like, also, and we'll get to it, that's one of the reasons he's so amazing is he's been at that level of power and had the ability to just do whatever he wants, and he's still making great movies. <laughs> awesome. So let's talk about where it began, because that's where I usually like to start, and right. that's what you were bringing up anyway. Yeah. You, is that a film festival? Yeah. So basically, uh, I'm from Orlando, Florida, and uh, I worked uh, for the Florida Film Festival, which is a fantastic film festival. Every every director that's been there has said it's like their favorite film festival in the world, and it's this wonderful regional festival. Uh, and I was there. I used to attend it as a fan, and then I worked there from 99 to 2001. So I spent two years as a programming assistant. A program uh, I, I was assisting the uh, program director Matthew Curtis, who's been programming, programming that festival for over 20 years. Okay. So he was my boss, and then I spent one year on the pro, on the, the features committee, where he would just get people together. That's an unpaid position where people get together and watch a bunch of features and rate them. And from that, Matthew kind of puts together uh, his um, you know the, the 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 feature competition slots. So. Um, I was there uh, as an assistant, and my job was basically to kind of reach out to filmmakers and try to get them to submit their films and then, you know, to, to hold the hands of directors that came in and stuff. But I would also just – I would w- try to watch everything that yeah. came through. So, like, I watched, you know, over 150 films a year. And back then, like, you know, special effects weren't great. So you were getting lots of – you were just getting lo- – uh, I guess a genre that I kind of loved was like the neo-noir kind of stuff because okay. you could really do that on a budget. So Christopher Nolan's first film following, you know, came home with me one day in like VHS. And this was not a film submitted for um, uh, competition. It had already, I think, gotten some acclaim. So okay. it was going to be what, what we call one of our spotlight films. And so, you know, I didn't, you know, Matthew was like, give me your opinion on it. So I just tossed it in, 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 in the VCR and absolutely loved it. Fell in love with this movie. And, and then I kind of started looking at how it was made because as, as an aspiring filmmaker, I'd made some short films at that point. I was always excited to hear how movies got made. Yeah. So Christopher Nolan made his first film in England. I, I don't know if it was London or not, but basically in England. He made it for 6000 bucks, feature film. 6000 $6,000. And he shot it on black and white 16 millimeter. Have you seen this movie? No. Okay. No. So black and white 16 millimeter. And it was one of those... Weird situations, like all of his buddies wanted to help him, but they all had day jobs and they didn't want to work (laughs) their entire weekends. So they're like, we're going to give you one day a week and we'll work for free. So like every Saturday, he would shoot a little bit of his movie. And so it took him like four months to shoot the movie one day a week for months. And then he's shooting to get the budget that low. And when you're shooting on film, you have to shoot a three to one ratio. And like, we don't worry about film ratios anymore because we have digital cameras and we don't care. But back in the day, you and I are sitting here across from each other, having a conversation. A three to one ratio means one take of you, one take of me, one take of the two of us together. We can't mess up our lines. It has to be perfect. Yeah. So to shoot a movie at three to one ratio is nearly impossible. Then on top of all that, his lead is like, you know, his lead guy is like having to like grow out his hair because his hair, like it's either you're going to keep it cut the same way for four months or he's yeah. going to kind of grow out. And that his was beard's literally grow. my first thought on the weekly shooting is, but what about hair? Okay. So what he did <laughs> is he created a timeline where there's like the movies jumping back and forth in time and, and towards the end, his hair's all grown out and shaggy. So <laughs> as his hair would grow longer, he would shoot that stuff. So that's where Christopher Nolan kind of lucked into his I'm going to jump around in time kind of motif that he used. Okay, so he was just, it was dictated by B 
beard realities. Beard realities. And, like, the fact that he had all these weird constrictions of, like, three to one, black and white. You know, I'm going to use available lighting. My, okay. my My lead's hair is crazy. So, like, he had all these weird constrictions and 6000 bucks and genius. And he put it all together and made a killer, killer little first movie. And so that was, like, I was, like, I can't wait to see what this guy is going to do next. So did you fall in love with the movie itself, or did you fall in love once you figured out that he saw a filmmaking puzzle in terms of, here's my resources, I'm going to put a movie together based on those resources? Both. Okay. I, 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 I love the movie. Like I love, like I said, I love low-budget neo-noir films. Like, for instance, it's not a good, as good a film as, say, Blood Simple, which I think is yeah. the perfect like low-budget neo-noir movie if you're going to you know, look at the Coen Brothers' first movie. You know, is it as good as that? Probably not. But then I added to that the feeling of like what this guy went through and how he pulled it off. And I'm okay. like, so I think it was like the perfect entryway to getting obsessed with this guy because, you know, it led to the, well, what is he going to do next when he has a little bit more money? Yeah. And having a little bit more money doesn't necessarily make anything easier, uh, you know, but it's, it is going to, you know, it did keep me on the edge of my seat going, okay, well, what's next? Okay. So you immediately become obsessed with the work and a little bit with the person. With the guy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then he makes Memento. Yeah. Which, is there any, like, better second film? Maybe Raising Arizona. But, you know, it's like, is there any as good a second film as, as Memento? So, like, have you seen Memento? Oh, yeah. Okay. Good. I saw it in the theater. I right. haven't seen it since. So, I had, and part of, I think part of obsession in general is kind of the context of when, you, when you're exposed to things. Yes. What's going on in your life. So, like... One of the the great benefits of working for the film festival is, you know, Matthew every year would kind of go scout films at various film festivals, and he started taking me with him. So, oh, nice. like, for two years, I got taken to Sundance, where I would get, you know, I'd get a package. I'd see, like, 19 films in four days, <laughs> and it was my job. And I would yeah. go to these films, and I'd try to meet the filmmaker afterwards and give him a pamphlet from our festival and say, hey, you should really submit your film. And, and plus, you know, I'm just we're, we're connecting with people we know in the film world. So I get to see Memento at Sundance. And of course, like, so when we're picking out our films we're going to go see, I see that one. I'm like, I've got to see that one. Oh, yeah, because you've been wondering. I've been wondering. So, like, and I remember it's, like, clear as day. I have a a handful of, like, insane moments at Sundance where, like, films blew my mind and changed me forever. So, you know, Memento had already played a couple of times. I'd already heard the buzz was, like, thunderous. People were losing their minds about it. So I probably saw maybe the third ever screening of it. Damn. And it was at... Uh, the library venue, which is like a mid, it's not one of their biggest venues, not one of the smallest, it's kind of like a mid-sized venue. And it's a great, like old school, you know, library. Uh, it's a really fantastic venue. And of course, you know, I got my ticket in advance. So like, I'm in good shape. I go in, I get my seat and there's this buzz in the room. And this <laughs> like is literal. Like, like, yes, it was like, you, it was, yes, I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's that. <laughs> That's so because awesome. I look back and like people are standing in the back of the theater three deep and I'm okay. like, those people can't have tickets. I don't know how they got in. But, like, the place, it feels like a rock concert. We're like, I, I had a, a moment <laughs> where I was like, and it was also, I think, a time when Hollywood was starting to get really interested in indie filmmakers. Absolutely. And it was that moment when they were like, which indie filmmakers can we kind of grab and steal away from the indie world and give them big, giant movies? Like, it happens all the time nowadays. Somebody makes one Sundance movie, and then they're directing Jurassic World. Yeah. doesn't. Ha- it, back then, there was, like, that feeling of, like, okay, they've got a couple films under their belt. Is this going to work out? So, like, there was definitely a Hollywood presence in that room. There was this energy. And I was like, I remember sitting there and probably feeling like this room is going to either love this guy or rip him to shreds. Like, they're they're ready to, like, 
feast on something. Yeah. And so we watched the movie and it killed and it was beautiful and I and it was like that I loved it. Yeah. And I could not love a movie more than I loved Memento and that screening at Sundance. And then and so, like, and there's that energy of, like, oh, my God, everybody wants a piece the of this guy. Communal experience, yeah. Of course. And so afterwards, my job is to go up to the filmmaker and say, hey. And I'm like, okay. So I, I stand in line, and this is after the Q&A, and he's, you know, Christopher Nolan sticking around and And is this kind of, like, standard, then, that they kind of linger to meet and greet? Well, they're kind of lingering, but they're also kind of slowly trying to work their way to the exit so they can get the hell out of there. Yeah, okay. So I'm usually the guy that's kind of blocking the exit. <laughs> And and um, one detail I forgot is because uh, you know I was working for the festival when we programmed following. One of my jobs was to write up blurbs for the movies. Oh, nice! So like I would take kind of the press release, but I would put my own spin on it, and kind of like I, it was I would write a blurb in the program to entice somebody to want to go see that movie. So I'd written the blurb for following, so, and I'd brought the program with me. And so I met him and I shook his hand. I was like, hey, love, love the movie, blah, blah, blah. I was also, we programmed following in my film festival. And I showed him the program. And I'm like, hey, and I wrote the blurb for the film. And he took a look at it. He was very polite. And he was like, can I keep this? Oh. And I'm like, yes, you can keep it. <laughs> and I'm like, trying not to cry. I'm like, yeah. you can absolutely keep it, sir. So I have to feel that. He has at least once in his life read my work. <laughs> Did he comment anything more? Did he say like, "I really like the way this captures this," or nope, like, nope, "I want to, I'm gonna, nope. I'm collecting things to put up in my bathroom, and this no, one's going up there." No, he was he was wearing like one of those beautiful English trench coats, and I'm sure he just <laughs> put it into one of his many pockets, and maybe he threw it away at the hotel. I'm sure he probably read it and then threw it away. Who knows? It doesn't matter. The fact that he asked for it, I had it. He was super polite. That's the thing. It's like, I, you know, you have so many filmmakers where you hear they're monsters on set or whatever. And I, yeah. Are there any bad stories about Christopher Nolan? Not that I've heard. Yeah. I mean, just, one crosses one's fingers these days. But exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, he was super polite. And it was when, you know, and, and getting to walk away from that experience, having met the guy, having seen the second film and knowing, okay, this is this is a filmmaker that I'm going to watch for a very long time. Yeah. So you're along for the ride. Yes. You, you have met the person. You think that they're nice. They've yep. had that great personal connection, which is what we always want when we approach someone we of like. Of course. Yes. So then you've been on along the ride for his career. Right. At this point, you feel he has not failed you. Right. Do you have a favorite film and a least favorite film for Christopher Nolan? Or is it just truly they're all up there in the stars? No, I think, um, yeah, see, I, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to have an objective eye when I look at things. Yeah. So, like, I have my favorite films. I have my least favorite films. I think Insomnia is my least favorite film. Okay. But it's an important film in his career because that was the one, like, when I said some filmmakers go from making one Sundance movie to a giant movie, back in the day, you kind of had to make that in-between movie to show Hollywood that you could play in their world. Okay. So Insomnia was that movie. He was working with big stars. It was a bigger budget. You know, it kind of is the least... Christopher Nolan movie he's ever made but you could feel that he's like okay I'm going to show you that I can handle your 40 or 50 million bucks or whatever they gave him and, okay. not, and, and give you a movie that can make you some money I'm going to show you that I'm capable so I understand why that movie was super important for his career yeah. I don't ever necessarily need to watch it again it's not a bad movie it's a okay. fine movie it's just probably the least Nolan of all his movies okay yeah so you just don't feel like it's it's not pure uncut Nolan exactly okay you know and as far as like his favorite movies I mean I always say Memento because that's the one that 
nostalgia wise hit me in the exact yeah. right moment. And I, I and it's a movie that like you can you can not watch it for a year and go back and realize I have forgotten so many amazing things about this movie because <laughs> it's so complex and works on so many levels. But then it's like, how do you compare Memento to Dark Knight? I mean, they're both giants of cinema in completely different ways made by the same dude. Yeah. You know? So I feel as far as his big movies I mean, is there a better giant Hollywood blockbuster than Dark Knight? Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, let's you talk look about like that you a little bit. You debate me, but. <laughs> uh, well, no, this is one of the reasons that I'm fascinated to talk about this. Right. For me, Christopher Nolan is interesting because I think he is a great filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And almost any positive thing that anyone could ever say about him, I wouldn't disagree with. Right. But he's personally not for me. Ah, interesting. Because I feel like he puts, uh, well, my reaction when I see his film is that I feel like the themes are forward from the characters. Right. So like uh, Inception, right. like I saw Memento and is at the right time. It's like, this is so clever. It's breaking everything. It's right. not stupid Hollywood right. by the numbers. And then like, uh, you know, fast forward a bunch and I see Inception yep. and it's still like, oh man, it's twisting, it's breaking, it's surprising. But to me, like a lot of it hinged on that two characters loved each other. Right. But I just, for myself, didn't feel the the actual love. I didn't know why the characters were in love. So it starts to me to feel like clockwork. Yeah. And I, I am taking this all as uh, just my subjective no, reaction. absolutely. Not arguing for it. But it does make me think a lot about what his themes are. Right. Because it seems like he's a guy who's like, I have an idea. Yep. And sometimes I have these meat puppets who love each other or don't <laughs> in order to get these things done. Yeah. And like, I love Batman. And he didn't dive into, right. you know, this obsession in right. Batman's relationship with the world. To me, he was a libertarian who dresses up as a bat, <laughs> which is a valid interpretation right. of Batman, but not my first one. Yeah. You know, so like Dark Knight is brilliant because the themes dive and right. swoop together and tie up in interesting yep. ways. Yes. It's interesting for me because I, um, yeah, like I'm aware of people's, you know, how people feel about, it. some people think his films are cold. Yeah. Some people feel that they're more like puzzles than actual stories. And, and I think that's a, it's a tone thing. It's an aesthetic thing. And like, to me, it's like what, what I love about big studio movies is I want them to be relentlessly entertaining and yeah. I want spectacle and I want fun. And then you, what do I love about indie movies? I want them to be interesting and, you know, break rule breaking and have big ideas at their core. And I don't think there's any filmmaker that combines those two worlds, mm. you know, that puts those things together in a better way. And honestly, it's like his films do hit me emotionally. Yeah. So like, Honestly, like, I, I love Batman Begins. And, and part of this, and this could, be, this could be interesting because I'm not a huge Batman fan. Okay. So, like, I'm a Marvel guy growing up. So, I'm, I'm in the Marvel world. I liked Batman because as a kid, I would watch the old Adam West show. And it yeah. was, like, the only superhero TV show you could possibly watch. So, <laughs> I enjoyed the heck out of it. But, like, I, I was never a true Batman fan. So, like, Christopher Nolan probably made the right Batman movie for me. Yeah. So, like, the first hour of Batman Begins is my favorite like superhero origin story. And as not a, you know, true believer Batman fan, maybe he got a lot of things wrong. I don't know. All I know is for me, you know, taking that character and figuring out how to make it work in a real, real-ish yeah. sort of movie world and doing it in a way that I felt connected to that character emotionally, he got me. He yeah. told like I love that movie. And I loved it from the very beginning. And and I know that's debatable and I know other people would probably just you know, but uh, it's Yeah. I like Batman Begins the best of, of yeah. all three of them. Yep. And I think Nolan is fascinating because my mind always does go back to puzzle because like right. Batman Begins, yep. I like some of the mystery of it of like 
of Batman. Like yes. he is just so obsessive and haunted that right. this makes some kind of sense to him and the yep. world he lives in that he must terrify right. criminals by yep. being something just so awful and dark. Yes. And Nolan approaches that as now he has fins on his gloves. I will explain to you that these are ninja throwing stars, and he has to have the ears for reception. And it's, it was a great, especially at the time, it was a groundbreaking take to yes. really try to make this bizarre character make a little bit more sense in this gritty real world. Yeah. Now, that it's not for me, right. but that doesn't mean that I think it's bad. Yeah. But it's fascinating to me because it is a, a, a man whose mind works at puzzles. Right. So I'm curious, of all of these themes that do connect his films... Which of them speaks to you the most? Is it the the puzzle making? Is it the uh, the shattered timelines or memories where you're not like Inception and Memento seem to have that in common that right that you have to question your own memories, your own realities, right, in order to find you know emotional truth. Obviously, there's a huge themes in the whole Batman trilogy about right. you know either you know die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. Out of all these ideas that he's thrown out in his films, what are the ones that resonate with you? See, part of it is like a lifelong movie watcher and a writer, writer my entire life. Yeah. You know, I've written, started writing short stories when I was six. Now I've been a screenwriter professionally for 15 years. I've been writing screenplays for 25 years. And this might seem not uh, as sexy an answer. (laughs) I just love the fact that he tells thematically rich stories and he breaks the rule book in a way that doesn't make me think he's showing off. Okay. So like that he does it because he's trying to tell the best version of that story that he can. So it's almost like his relationship to storytelling is my favorite thematic element about his work is that he's figuring out whatever, you know, so like telling Memento backwards is a stunt that works, but it's also he's trying to figure out a way, how can I tell this guy's story and make the audience feel what he's feeling? And this is the best way for me to break the rules and do that in a way that that works for the audience. So, like, I feel like when he breaks the rules thematically, he's doing it to serve the story and not because he's showing off, which I think plenty of filmmakers love to show off. And I don't feel that from his work. Okay, yeah. You know, his most recent film, Dunkirk, right? Dunkirk. So is oh Dunkirk gosh. a real departure? Because I have not seen Dunkirk. Yeah. I, I was just not in the mood for, for a, a, yep. a couple hours of war. Yeah. Uh, is it in the same vein of his work? Is it... A puzzle? Yeah. And it's really cool. And that's the thing. It's like when I when I had to think about, you know, Obsession, he's probably the only director that I will see every movie that he makes. Okay. You know, that, that's when I started to put the bar like, you know, there, there's a couple other filmmakers I'll probably see anything they make. But Christopher Nolan, I don't care. He yeah. shoots a movie about paint drying i'm gonna have to check it out and just cross my fingers so like i'm not a big war fan i'm not a big period movie fan he did a i heard he was making a movie about world war ii and i was kind of like oh i have to see it <laughs> and thanks Chris and there's no there's no war movie that made like it it's crazy because yeah. he doesn't make a movie about heroism he makes a movie about panic and survival and he does it and he there's a puzzle that is really confusing for about 10 minutes okay and, I mean, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, but okay. I, I can give you the structure of the movie. That's not spoiling, right? No. So, like, it's three different storylines that are all intertwining around these young soldiers that are having to escape off the beach and get back to England. So there's the kids trying to escape and basically waiting for rescue. Yeah. That's one storyline. And then, like, a few days later, there's the boats that have been dispatched to come 
pick them up and drive them back to London. And we're following one of those boats. And then deep into the boat's journey, like an hour before the actual actual rescue, there's the planes that are dispatched to kind of protect the boats and like fight, you know, fight off, you know, the German warplanes. So there's three different storylines, but they're all split apart by time. He tells them all at the exact same time. Ah. So you're watching Time Hardy in the plane and then cutting back to the kid on the beach. And those things take place a week apart, but I'm seeing them all spliced together in a way where they're happening. They feel like they're happening together. Yeah. And it takes a good 10 or 15 minutes before you understand that that's what he's doing. But once you realize it, you go, this is the most dramatic way to tell this story. Instead of going, I'm going to tell you some of this story and then eventually I'm going to catch up to Tom Hardy in the last 20 minutes of the movie. No, I'm going to spread his story across all 20, you know, the entire two hour experience. So again, it's a puzzle. Nobody else would have done it that way. I don't know if that's the best way to tell that story, but Mr. Doesn't Want to See Movies about World War II was like, I'm in, man. I loved it. And And it was super cool. It was that structure that brought you in, uh, that way of uh, encapsulating, like, we're talking about a specific event. Yeah. Here are the times that everybody interacted with that event and the the most stressful, dramatic moments where they interacted with that event. Yeah. So let's just splice it together like that. Yeah, and also because... You would see pieces of the puzzle early. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for like, I see something and I don't understand why that's important until later. Yeah. So there was a lot of like, oh, there's a boat sinking. And I don't know what boat that is. I don't know who's involved in that boat. And then I come to find out much later in the film, oh, I know people in that boat. And and now I'm seeing it from the other point of view. And the fact that it's, it's a trick. Yeah. And so many filmmakers use that. I've used that trick in scripts that I've written and movies that I've made. And yet... You know, I didn't even think as as I'm watching the movie. Oh, there's a boat sinking. That's gonna be part of the puzzle, and he's gonna unwrap that gift for me later. Nope, I was just in the movie, and then 45 minutes later, I'm like, oh, that's that boat. Right. So he kind of does a, a quality Easter eggs in his own yeah. movies, not references to other movies. Right. References Re- to his own to, movies. To his own movies. <laughs> and I think, and I think honestly, people that are so good at like taking movies apart probably watch his movies and see see the puzzle pieces ahead of time. Yeah. And I'm, even though I, I, I like, I'm really fascinated with writing structure and I'm willing to get deep into it, I'm also kind of cool to sit back and be surprised and not right. think too hard. And that's maybe one of the reasons I really enjoy his films is I'm willing to just let him, let him unveil the puzzle for me. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to solve it. I'm, I, and, and I think that's one of the reasons I just, I just have a relationship with him as a filmmaker. I'm like, dude, Go ahead, unveil your puzzle. I'm with you. Let's let's, yeah. let's do this. That makes a lot of sense to me because having got a chance to read a lot of your writing, yeah, you're you're really good at structure. Oh, thank you. And uh, you really have a handle specifically on the the standard structure right. of Hollywood that a lot of people want to see and right. now have been trained to see. Yeah, and you know when a movie does follow those beats. I'm sure you can feel so much of like we're on page this page of Save the Cat. Like you know exactly <laughs> yeah. where it is based on that structure. So having a filmmaker who delivers a really good film while kind of forcing you to throw out some of those yeah. standard Hollywood structural ideas. And doing it with giant movies. That's the thing. Like they you expect it with indie films, but the fact that he can play with those rules and 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 kind of change your relationship to structure as you're watching a hundred and fifty million dollar movie. Yeah, nobody in Hollywood has the balls to do that. J.J. Abrams, I think, is a genius filmmaker. I'll see everything he does too, but you know, he's not my number one obsession because at the end <laughs> of the day, he still kind of plays with the same beats and structure that we're all aware of. Yeah, you know, so like he works on a certain level that I'm I'm thrilled and excited to see his films. But Christopher Nolan, man, 
he just I feel like he's getting away with something every time he makes a movie I feel like you've conned everybody oh so that makes sense for a little bit of obsession that there's an element of almost uh, rebellion about it oh my gosh yeah so this is a little bit of a weird question but when you walk out of a Christopher Nolan movie what do you want to do like there when I was a kid and I would see a Star Wars movie or, or even you know the rare superhero movie you know I would want to be that character right you know sometimes when I move leave a theater I'm inspired to be like I want to write something like that or maybe I want to be a little bit more politically active today or you know maybe I reattach to that idea of like I want to play with a lightsaber right what do you want to do when you walk out of a Christopher Nolan movie (laughs) see I'm not the kind of guy that's going to go online and go deep on reddit into different fans I read a couple articles and stuff yeah so like I'm not a big like let's dive deep into a film, but I see a Christopher Nolan movie and I want to get a beer with a friend and talk about it for <laughs> okay. a really long time. And I don't do that with every movie. Yeah. So like for instance, Interstellar, I think is a really cool movie. I think it's flawed, you know, and I think there's some problems with that movie, but it's crazy ambitious, tries so many things and it's just cool. So like my wife and I saw that movie and we walked out and we're like, we were like, how do we feel about it? And we went to a wine bar and we got some wine, really nice wine, and we talked about God for three hours. <laughs> so that's that's what his movies inspire is. I want to go talk about stuff okay, for I wanna a long time. I want to get drunk and talk about God is a great inspiration. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> or at least tipsy. That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Now, I know you have had the opportunity to meet Christopher Nolan. Yes. You've already had this interaction. Right. But since you do think your obsession is a little bit with the person as well, if you could have time with Christopher Nolan, what would you want to do? Like if it was just sort of like um, you you won randomly. Right, right. A, a, an hour with Christopher Nolan. And he was like, whatever you want. We can talk about my movies. I can look at one of your scripts. We can go see a movie. We can go golfing. Right. How would you want to spend time with him? I mean, definitely... Definitely a nice long dinner, multiple courses, yeah. like a good Italian dinner, and a okay. lot of wine. So like a, just an evening yeah. where we get to hang out and talk about a lot of stuff. I, I would love to know, and this is because I work in Hollywood, and Hollywood is really hard, as yeah. we all know. It's just not easy to have a career. It's not easy to do work. It's honestly not easy to do work you're always proud of because there's so many things that are kind of you're dealing with. You're dealing with getting work you're dealing with delivering work you work you're dealing with working with personalities and all I want to do is have an exciting career where I make work I'm proud of but right. honestly that's all anybody wants to do and he seems to have a career that he's always making something he's passionate about he's always getting the amount of money he needs to make it he doesn't seem like he's having to do you know animated you know giant robot movies to kind of pay the bills yeah he's created this career where it seems like all he's doing is work he's passionate about and getting the, the, the resources to do it. So, A, I want to see if he's conscious of that and if, like, that's been part of the plan and, like, how he does that. Yeah. And is he, you know, I'd like to know, is he is he thankful and, and conscious of, like, oh, I, I have a pretty special thing. I'm, I'm guessing that he is and I'm guessing that he operates in a way that enables him to do with it, make his movies that yeah. way. I think his wife is his producer. So I'm sure they kind of have a family unit which protects him and them from making bad, junky movies. So I think I would love to hear just how he lives as an artist and how he fights those battles that enables him to make work that he's excited about and that is good work. Yeah. 
a lot of people on many podcasts, because so many of them are recorded in Hollywood, yeah. talk about the sort of a ladder curse of every time you get up a little bit higher up on the rung in your career. Right. You're not satisfied that you got up two more rungs. Right. You're frustrated that you want to be up two more rungs even more, which yes. I think is, you know, I think that's human psychology mm-hmm. that we have to work against. And right. We can. But that's really interesting to me to say, like, hey, Christopher Nolan, you have exactly what you want. And it's not right. like you're bored because you, you're challenging yourself. You're yeah. saying, I want to make an ambitious, weird movie. I want to make right. another ambitious, weird movie. So yeah. that's a really interesting conversation of like, have you escaped the right. latter curse. Well, like as as, an, as as a working screenwriter, I hear from a lot of aspiring writers who are like, how do I break in? How do I break in? How do I break in? And nobody ever asks, how do I stay in? Yeah. How do I stay in working at a professional level, making work that's exciting to me where I'm still making enough money to pay the bills? And I think we need to have that conversation more often because, and, 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 and it feels a little... I don't know, pretentious to just go, well, I've, I've made it. How do I keep making it? But once you get in there and you're like, you've had a taste of like a professional life, you realize, okay, it's really hard. What are the resources? Who do I turn to? And we know this for a fact. You turn to your friends yeah. who are going through the same thing. <laughs> Somebody may be one rung up on the ladder or one rung behind you, but you can all, we're all pretty much in the same place and we can all have conversations about how do we stay in this and stay happy and stay sane. Yeah. But I just I wish it was easier easier to have that conversation. I wish there were resources that we could go to, to to have that conversation more. And I think you know you look at the careers of people that are staying in and are thriving. Yeah. And those I think are insanely inspiring, which is another reason why you know Christopher Nolan is my obsession. Yeah, totally yeah. understandable. And yeah. obviously, you know, you can't ask a, a successful person for a lot of their time. But I'm sure yeah. if. Yeah. Christopher Nolan did do a series of fine Italian dinners <laughs> in Insights. Yep. That would be very helpful uh, to a lot of people. Totally. I wanted to ask you just a few uh, flavor questions kind of based on his movies. Because okay, I sure. think his movies are fascinating. Yeah. Have you ever imagined or thought about what it would be like to have memento memory? Would you want to have that shattered memory? I mean, obviously it's not portrayed oh. as a great thing. <laughs> no, it would be hell, man. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, it's so funny. Like, I remember uh, my first manager in this business was always like, you know, what's the, uh, I forget the exact way he would put it, but like, what's what's the uh, the fantasy takeaway from, from, from the movie? What's the wish fulfillment? That's what he yeah. would call it. There is zero wish fulfillment in Memento. <laughs> it's like, A, I don't want to have, you know, shattered memory. B, I don't want my entire life to be based on revenge. Yeah. You know, Especially a kind of revenge where I cannot have catharsis. It's a movie for a guy who's literally unable to have catharsis in his life. Yeah, I think it's 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 a horrifying tragedy that movie, <laughs> and maybe it's the puzzle that makes us still able to watch it and not feel really bummed out. Yeah, that is a pretty neat trick. And yeah. I mean, in you know, Memento was made a while ago, and we, right. I think we are swinging back towards we're a, a little tired of. Oh man, that's so rugged. That's so rough. That's so yeah. terrible. And wanted to wanted to see some stories of inspiration, right? Um, but especially when it was released, it it is pretty fascinating. He's made so many movies of like, yeah, look at this poor asshole. They're stuck. <laughs> yeah, great movie, right? Right, All right. right. Let's have some wine and talk. Yeah. Um, if you could travel into someone's sort of mind and dreams, like Inception, right? Who would you want to travel into, into their dreams and their thoughts? I might pick a political figure. <laughs> who I don't agree with. Okay. And I'd kind of want to go deep, kind of find his father and have his father, like have a deep father dream where his dad's <laughs> like, you know what? I think we've gotten it wrong. I think taking care of people is really why we're here on okay. Earth. And I think if I put that like father message deep in 
you know, any particular political figure's mind, then I think uh, I think the world might be a better place. You would fix the daddy issues that are threatening the entire civilized world right now. Yes, I'll I just would. say it. Yes, I would. <laughs> I think that's very very noble of you. All right, this is my one question that I'm going to ask that is a little critical of Christopher Nolan. Do it. As a deep fan of Christopher Nolan. Right. Do you have any rationale for the weird voice choices in the Batman trilogy? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I think it's I think it's something like when it comes to Batman himself, I think that I think it was probably a decent idea. Yeah. That kind of got a little bit out of hand. Yeah. And here's the thing. You remember, did you see the, um, when they released uh, on um, Batman Rises, um, Dark Knight Rises, did you see the, um, the, 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 the preview scene that they released? I can't remember what movie it was with, but they, they had it on IMAX. It was yeah, the, and it was like the plane escape. It was the plane Bane, escape. Yeah. Yeah. And Bane had really hard to understand dialogue. Yeah. And people kind of complained about it. And I remember reading an interview with Christopher Nolan when he was like, yeah, that kind of caught me off guard. So, you know, we cleaned it up and made it a little easier to hear. <laughs> the fact that he's a guy who can say, you know what? I kind of made a mistake there. I'm going to fix it so people can enjoy my movie more. Yeah. That's pretty Thank great. Thank you, dude. Yeah, yeah like, that is very How many good. directors would, like, most directors would be like, whatever, dude, deal with it. Yeah. But he, he fixed it. He yeah. fixed it. Uh, and then he, he did it. He was able to fix it before the full movie came out. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I still think Bane talks a little bit weirder, but I think that is great. At least you can understand him now. <laughs> at least it would be horrible. He's like, yeah. dark darkness. Right. Uh, can, yeah. I say something, can I say something about, about uh, Dark Knight Rises? Absolutely. Okay. Also, another, he's got no point now, and Dunkirk does not suffer from this, but he's got no point now where his movies are so thematically ambitious that, you know, they're sagging a bit from the weight of what they're trying to accomplish. And I think okay. that's what happened to Dark Knight Rises. But man... The fact that the final shot of that movie is the title of the movie is oh yeah is is genius. That's pretty and great. Perfection. So I just and had to say that. I and I will say I'll say a positive thing. Yeah. I do like out of all the tellings of the Batman mythos to remove it from the comic books that it is uh, you know always reinventing in terms of Bruce Wayne. Like, right. You know there are plenty of other people have been Batman like happens right. in Dark Knight Rises, but to present it as nope. It's these three movies. Yeah. That is the story of Batman. Right. And unlike a lot of his other protagonists, Batman himself gets to retire yeah. with some really bad knees <laughs> and totally. have, have some wine right. and say, well, yep. you know what? This other guy will take care of it. Yeah. Another dark night will rise. <laughs> We're going to move on to our How Obsessed Are You questions. Okay. So these are questions or variations of them. I ask everybody across all episodes of this podcast. Do you think about Christopher Nolan every day? No. No. It, every week. Every week. Every week. So is that like just about a week, uh, within a week, a thought of one of his movies will drift through your mind or you're like, I wonder what Christopher Nolan is working on next? No, it's like, I wish I, I wish there was a new Christopher Nolan movie for me to watch because I enjoy his movies so much yeah. and I, I have to wait every two or three years yeah. to watch one. So it's just like that feeling of like when I go, when I look at what's playing at the movie theaters and I'm like usually kind of bummed out because there's not much that I want to see. Yeah. And I just wish I could see his movies more often. Okay. Do they reset your imagination? Like sometimes when I'm uh, having a hard time reconnecting just to I want to make whatever feels right, whatever inspires me, um, I'll watch like a David Lynch film or, mm-hmm. or Twin Peaks and that will help me reconnect back to just like the joy of I want yes. to create. Yeah, I, I get it's 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 easy to get a little jaded with Hollywood and yeah. like right now I, I grew up loving superheroes and there is superhero exhaustion in the movies now I'm feeling it I'm kind of bummed out about it all and then you know I'll watch one of his movies and it kind of 
it reminds me why I love big Hollywood movies. Okay. It reminds me it reminds me that big Hollywood movies can be great. Yeah. And so it kind of you know, it's like you look at Hollywood and you see it as this arc that's going a certain direction and you realize, oh, he's on his own arc. You know, yeah. his career is moving its own way and he's not really connected to what all this other stuff that's happening. And it, it gives you hope that you can still, no matter what's trending or what's happening in the business, you can still make work you're passionate about. That's what, that's what his stuff reminds me of every time I see it. Cool. When people walk into your home, can they tell you're obsessed with Christopher Nolan? No. <laughs> I'm not a big collector. I don't put up movie posters. Many not movie a poster posters. of Christopher Nolan himself? No, no. I don't even know if I have any of his movie posters up. Like, I would, if I had a good Memento poster, I would totally put that up. I mostly have Star Wars stuff up and, <laughs> and my own movies. And, yeah. you know, yeah, it's weird. I have a very, uh, my, my, my collection of, uh, because when I growing up as a kid, I loved to collect. So I had like comic books and action yeah. figures, and something clicked in me, and I just got to the point where I stopped collecting things. Yeah. So my office is kind of a hodgepodge of like cool art that I'm, you know, cool geeky art that I find when I'm traveling with my wife, or you know, all my action figures. Everything that I have up is either something from my childhood or a gift. Okay. So it's all like I have this kind of weird collection of stuff, but it's mine and it makes me happy. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's maybe it's a secret obsession, but I mean, if you look at my. You know, you look at my DVD shelf. Yes, I still have one of those. Uh, you could, I think if you'd start putting it, to, like I don't have all of his movies together, but I think if you looked throughout all the all the levels of my shelves, you'd be like, oh, wait, no. Right, because he's like, oh, Memento. Oh, I, the Batman trilogy. Yeah. That's fine. But what, uh, the uh, following? Yeah, what? following. Oh, okay, this exactly. guy's deep. It's, it's there on the shelf. <laughs> oh, cool. Would you ever get a Christopher Nolan tattoo? I don't have any tattoos. Um you're not a tattoo person, which is the answer person. a lot of people give me on yeah, this question, I'm not a which is totally person. understandable. And like a face, Christopher Nolan's face. <laughs> no, no, because if I have that dinner, I don't want to be like reaching, you know, reaching for the bottle of wine and he looks at my forearm. He's like, dude, is that my face? Is that, is that my face? But I mean, it's one interpretation. I don't think that would go well. What if it was a shattered puzzle where like you had his eyebrow on your arm and then his nose on your back? And then his mouth on your ankle. It's even worse. Then there's <laughs> the 10 puzzle Christopher Nolan tattoos. And I have to like get into some pretzel shape. for, And it, and then it forms into his face. Uh, yeah, so you're, are you not a tattoo guy because the permanence bugs you? Or is it just one of those things like it's never occurred to me as a thing I want to do? You know, I've, I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on it. And uh, in my mind, I was always like I wanted to get the uh, one of the – crucial like mem- images in my youth was like when I would get comic books they were 35 cents and there was the Spider-Man face in the corner yeah the, uh, John Romita Sr. I think Spider-Man face up in the corner of those 35 cent issues and I was always like oh, that's what I'll start with I'll get that one on my <laughs> on, on my you know my arm somewhere and my my good friend Blake who has quite a few beautiful tattoos I told him that and he was like yeah we always get that first tattoo we regret and then I was like, and I thought for like, I thought for a minute and I was like, he's right. Yeah. So then I, and honestly, I, I'm not a tattoo guy. Yeah. And my, my first thought at one was not a good one. So I'm going to let it go. <laughs> Would you, if, if somebody gave you a book of Christopher Nolan temporary tattoos. Right. That were just like, hey, I can put this on for my next Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. What image or idea from his movies would you want to be like, hmm, this is the essential Christopher Nolan? Oh, man. You you should just all the memento tattoos in like a book. <laughs> oh, that'd be the best Halloween costume. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a deep cut, but it would be people would dig it. And you just walk around pointing at the at the empty spot on your chest all night, man. That's yeah. A, yeah that's what Get I would that really book. want. Yes, 
Christopher Nolan needs money. Let's get him those temporary tattoo books. <laughs> Would you get in a fight with a family member or friend if they were really insulting about Christopher Nolan? No, man, because I just believe people's art is their art, and what yeah. they love and what they hate is fine. Yeah. I'm cool with it. I'm like, I'll debate. If you want to debate, you want to talk about it for a long time, I'm in, yeah. but I don't need to get in a fight about it. Yeah, and this Not is just worth it. a general like life view. It's a, it's a life view. Like, I don't, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm... That's just the way I am. I'm like, there's, you know, there's things worth fighting for and my love of somebody or something. Yeah. That, and that's what I love. I love that people can be obsessed about whatever they're obsessed about. And yeah. If I don't like what they're obsessed about, awesome. Go do your own thing. Yeah, as long as it doesn't hurt you. Totally. Now, uh, I've known you, you know, for a couple of years, as we've said, and this has come up right. uh, in various different ways. Is it, was it a choice that you made at some point where you're like, I, it is not worth getting into like a verbal fight with people about things like you discuss. And then if you, it doesn't work, you walk away. Is it a choice or is that just like how you are? It's just how I am. It's part of my essence as a person is that, um, yeah, I've, I've, I've never been a fighter. I've never been an aggressive person. Yeah. Um, I'm passionate and like, and, and like I've, I've studied martial arts for 10 years and you learn really quickly there's stuff worth fighting for yeah and there's stuff that's not and all of a sudden so like like how deep people go on the internet to 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 savage people that disagree with them yeah all I can see is like all that time and energy they're putting into stuff to make somebody else feel bad <laughs> yeah it's like I'm just like it's not worth it man life is life there's too many more important things to do with life so like you know I I I I don't know. I'm a, I've been a live and let live guy my whole life. Yeah. As long as you're not hurting anyone, as long as you, you know, I, I, it's just, that's just been part of the aesthetic of who I am. So even like with the rise of the internet, yeah. you know, I've kind of, I've been kind of figuring out how I exist in that space. Cause I also see some people that like, they have a certain different side of themselves that kind of appears on the internet. Yeah. It's different from them. And I try to be who I am in my real life in my interactions on the internet. Yeah. So like, I don't want to ever, I'm not hiding behind anything. It's like, you find me on, you know, you find me on Twitter or Facebook, whatever. I still want to be the same person. And I'm the kind of guy that's like, like I said, we can debate about it all day, but I'm never going to get in a fight over it because life's too short. Yeah. Just go to martial arts class and learn some uh, physical moves and some philosophy, right? Exactly. (laughs) Excellent. Would you want Christopher Nolan to make a movie about your life? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Because then he could like, oh man. Because then he could like, he could like split it up into like three different time zones, and like the tiny kid who like was like afraid of fights, and then the guy who takes martial arts, and like the guy in the middle who's kind of lost and doesn't know what the hell. It, and like he could kind of figure out a way to tell my life through multiple time periods. Yeah, that would be really cool. Do you feel like he does get to the essence of ideas? Like when he, like when you walked out of Dunkirk, did you feel like? I understand what happened at Dunkirk. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But it's also like, and here's the thing. He wasn't doing a picture of Dunkirk. Like, it wasn't like, here's a book about Dunkirk so you can learn about Dunkirk. Because I also think the responsibility of a filmmaker is not to just show you what happened. Right. But to show you what happened through the lens of their own aesthetic. Yeah. So he wanted to make a movie. He wanted to make a war movie that was less about heroism and more about the human need to survive. Okay. So, like, there, there are heroic things happen, but our lead character who we're rooting for the whole movie is not a hero. He's a guy trying his best to get out of Dunkirk alive. Okay. And, and who's ever made a, a war movie about 
that where you choose somebody as your lead who's not necessarily a heroic character. Yeah. Like him making that choice, you know, I think was just a fascinating choice and made it for a much different film. I mean, if Spielberg had made that movie, I'd watch that that movie yeah. too. But man, he's going to make the movie about the heroes who saved the day in Dunkirk and Christopher Nolan made a completely different movie. Cool. So when he, if Christopher Nolan is like, I want to make a movie about your life. Yeah. Do you feel like he would find something that you don't see? That like by by cutting up your life and chopping it into a puzzle and putting it through his filter that he would find like uh, an idea in your life that you don't see? Either that or I think he would find something, he would find a story worth telling that he's interested in. Okay. So like maybe like, you know, one of the things about me is I'm a nice guy. And I used to think that was a weakness and now I see it as a strength. Yeah. And that's been a journey for me to realize that. That may not be interesting to Christopher Nolan. He may yeah. look at my life and see something completely different. He may see a story about a guy who's really tight with his father and then his father passes away in the middle of his life and now, you know, I'm 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 basically the age of my father. Oh, so like, wow. you know, he might look at that story and go there's something there that's interesting to me. And I and once again, that's the job of an artist is to look at my life and not, you know, and and find the thing about it that's interesting to him that, yeah. that speaks to the human experience that he can share. And I would trust him to do that. Cool. But, but I should also say I would trust Cameron Crowe with the exact same mission. <laughs> having so much regrets for my number two. This podcast has been a redemption story for Cameron Crowe, really. <laughs> uh, I'm really excited to be able to ask you these questions because yeah. you have so the mind of a writer Yeah. Uh, that I think a lot of people, if I just drop them on them, like, hey, your favorite filmmaker, what thematic ideas would he pull from your life? You're like, well, this one or that one or this one. Most people would be like, I don't know, I go to work and I like Star Trek, whatever. Uh, so that, that's really cool to see, like, that quick power you have Thanks. to sum things up. Uh, if you were blocked from entering a Christopher Nolan premiere by a bear, would you try to get around the bear? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And... Some martial arts tricks. Yeah. I would flow my spirit at the bear. I would let the bear know that I'm there for the right reasons, that I'm there because it's the right thing to do. Oh, really? Yeah. And is this all actual martial arts stuff? Well, I don't know. A bear would kill me. <laughs> but, I, but I would know how to try yeah. to, get, to get around that bear. Would you have better physical skills to evade the bear? Well. Based on your martial arts training. Because isn't, uh, I know there are many different schools of martial arts, but uh are, are you trained in the general idea of like you know the using force to get out of trouble? Yeah, I mean it's 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 about it's about making yourself bigger than the situation, okay, or as big as the situation needs. Okay, so if you're fighting you know a junk guy in a bar, you you create yourself to a certain degree. If you're fighting to protect you, my loved ones from home invaders, that's a different level. A rampaging bear, you have to create yourself pretty massive. <laughs> but but that's exactly what they say to do when you're fighting a bear is to make yourself look big. Yeah, martial arts gives you the way to make yourself look big without like. To do it beyond just the limits of my five foot six frame, right? But to do it with what what you hope is uh, this is going to sound so weird, <laughs> but like the spiritual self, your spiritual self, yes, your ability to want to do the right thing. So, you know, normally and honestly, to evade a bear, martial arts teaches you you don't you run, man, <laughs> you run away from the bear. You don't have to you run away and go through an exit door. Yeah, dude. but That's martial arts get... didn't know that you really love that Christopher Nolan movie. Yeah. But it's uh, you just you run from the bear, you sneak into the back door. That's the martial way. <laughs> okay, I think that you have successfully answered this question by uh, evading the stupidity of it, and I appreciate that. <laughs> if every time you watched a Christopher Nolan movie, you forgot about the existence of another movie, would you still watch Christopher Nolan movies? If you like pushed 
another movie out of your mind entirely. What, another Christopher Nolan movie? Or no, just, just movie? any any other movie. Like if you went to see a new Christopher Nolan movie and then you forgot that uh, Return of the Jedi exists in a strange Christopher Nolan memory trick. Got it. Would I, would I know which movie I was losing or would it be mm, random? No, it'd be random. Yeah, because then if, if I'm in a conversation with you, Joseph, and yeah. you're like, remember in Return of the Jedi? I was like, what? <laughs> and, you, and, and you'd be like, Return of the Jedi? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. You'd hold up the DVD, yeah. and then I would take the DVD and watch it. And we, I'd catch up. <laughs> you catch up until you forget again. Yeah. It's the positive version of Memento. That's the way I work. All right, that's awesome. I ask everyone to make a noise to sum up their obsession. What noise can you make to sum up Christopher Nolan love? I have no idea. <laughs> What's the emotional feeling of walking out of a, a particularly good one? Because you, you talked earlier about like there's a tension when you go in of like, is this going to be the one where this amazing high act of cinema that he's been doing yeah. falls apart? So his next movie, you're so worried about, but you walk out of the theater and it's amazing. What noise comes out of your that's body? so cool. <laughs> that's that's it. good. Just that's it. Absolutely. That's so cool. Yeah. That's great. Uh, I ask everyone to rate their obsession on a scale of one to seven. Seven being the highest, just because I like the number seven. Uh, from one to seven, what what do you feel like your obsession level is? I think it's a six because I think for a seven you have to like you have to kind of lose your objectivity. Okay. Kind of like honestly, the way I think the way you are with Star Wars, which is like it can do no wrong. I'm I can still look at. I feel I feel I'm a good a good solid six. Yeah. Well, I do I do want to I, I accept your rating, right. but I will clarify with my Star Wars, right? Because uh, you know the Last Jedi recently came out, and every time a right. Star Wars movie comes out, especially when it tries new things, there's yep. debate. I I'm able to be super objective. That's true. I should. Yeah, you're right. That's them. fair. That's fair. Uh, I shouldn't. Yeah, you're right. And I'm more talking to anybody listening at this point than, than, right, than right, right, you, right. Bob. Uh, but yeah. To me, it is about that. Uh, one of the things I love about both Star Wars and Doctor Who are they are three-legged tables. Right. They have been wobbly since their inception. Oh, and yeah. when there's a bad thing that I that's to me bad yeah. and I don't like it, often a couple years later, it's a fun thing to poke fun at. Right. And it's a fun mystery box to go like, oh, I really don't like that choice. Yeah. But what could that choice ultimately mean to the story? So right. I try to embrace the flaws. Yeah. Of Star That's Wars, a really cool, healthy way to look at yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I, I still, I'm a, I'm a six. I think seven would be like, you know, putting that tattoo right on my chest. Yeah, just going, hey, Christopher, look what I got. <laughs> a it's seven. Like a, it's, like a, it's like a mirror, dude. <laughs> if you're looking into my chest mirror, yeah. And a seven would have been like, Bane's voice is great. What the hell are you talking exactly. about? This podcast yeah. is over. <laughs> uh, well, I want to get some plugs in for uh, all your great projects. In any, if you want to be found on social media, all that stuff. Where can people find you? Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, uh, easy to find me on Twitter. I'm at them Bob T H E M as in Mary B O B. Uh, and I'm I'm on Twitter. I love talking about screenwriting and talking shop about story. So feel free to chat with me there. Um, and then my web series, uh, 20 seconds to live, uh, on Twitter, we're at 20 STL. Uh, you can actually find the show on Facebook or aeriscope.com, which is at filmmaker Adam Green's website, or we're also on Sika TV. It's S E E K A dot TV, which is a brand new website that kind of, uh, curates a bunch of awesome web series and, oh, we're, cool. and we're there and happy to be there. So there's, uh, we're, there's multiple places you can find our web series, 20 seconds to live, and they're all like two minutes long. And so they're, you know, they're gory and funny and uh, easy to watch while you're waiting in line for a taco. <laughs> yeah, I think they're great. And uh, the other thing I say, uh, I would say about your Twitter feed is uh, you do a lot of tweeting about your process, which yeah. I think is really healthy and cathartic for 
other writers to oh, just cool. always Thanks. remember like okay somebody is there's somebody else out there going like oh okay i've got my coffee i was frustrated this morning <laughs> right. but now i'm gonna get back to it and i that's the way to do it great yeah so it's very very healthy here's some uh, quick plugs for this show and then we'll do our final questions you can follow me on twitter and instagram is at joseph scrimshaw you can follow obsessed podcast on twitter and facebook is at obsessed podcast you can also check out my star wars podcast feed force center for lots of thoughts and opinions about the last jedi and all things star wars you can also support obsessed by backing us on patreon for as little as one dollar a month you get access to our monthly patron only bonus episode where my wife sarah and i talk about something we are obsessed with in the moment for full info on that go to patreon.com slash joseph scrimshaw all right final questions these don't have anything to do with the main obsession but you can okay. make them about christopher nolan if Great. you want if you could burn a word or phrase into the moon what might it be hmm kindness just the word kindness yeah yeah do you just feel like that's something that we all always need that constant reminder yeah. of like every night like oh yeah kindness yes thanks do. moon yeah exactly <laughs> i was about to just be real asshole just <laughs> lash out because something's bothering me but the moon corrected me. Totally. If you could offer a hug to any fictional character, what fictional character would you want to offer a hug to? Oh. I'd hug Ray from Star Wars because I, <laughs> I think she's the greatest. She's like my favorite new character in many, many years. Yeah. And I would just thank her for being awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I, uh, in terms of like her role in the film and also her role in pop culture right now. Yeah. Of just really being a great inspiration. I think she's, yeah. 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 Making the world, that character, she and that character is making the world a better place for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, we are seeing a reemergence of characters that are, get challenged, yeah. but are strong and steady. And those are the characters I'm really drawn to. Yep. Uh, Chris Evans' performance is Captain America. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, you know, characters like Ray, and there's some characters on, on television. Right. Uh, there is something yeah. just, just. You know, the pendulum always swings and we need our dark, fractured weirdos who question everything. And then every once in a while we need our people who just, no matter how much they're bad, they always stand up. And, you know, I can do this all day like Captain America. (laughs) So the final question for everyone on the podcast is, what is happiness? What is happiness? Yeah. Oh, man. Whew. Having purpose. Yeah. Like knowing what to do with your life and being able to do it with all your passion and being surrounded by people you love that you can share that passion with. Yeah. It's just the best thing in the world. Yeah. And it's, that echoes what you were saying about Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Of it's not that happiness for you isn't necessarily like stasis. Right. It is having the, the challenge of something yeah. really interesting in front of you that you are actively doing yeah. with all, uh, love and support and enough all, money. <laughs> yeah. He's always working. He's always learning. He's always trying new stuff and he gets to do it with his wife and he's got that support unit built in. And that's, it seems, you know, we never know, but it, it seems like he's got a pretty happy life. Yeah. It seems pretty, I, I remember reading some interesting things about Dunkirk where he yeah. was like, Hey, what if I just didn't have a script? And his <laughs> wife was like, Interesting, but what if you did? <laughs> totally. <laughs> that is a good answer for yeah. happiness when your your wife or partner says, maybe a script. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the podcast. Thanks, Joseph. That is our podcast. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed. Oh, Bob, I never said thank you for doing my podcast. And you'll never have to.